0: This morning, it's good to see you here. Um, my is Lloyd, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's good to be able to welcome you in person. Um, to see old faces, new faces, half faces, and um, full faces as well actually, some with masks on. So it feels as if something's changing and it's glad that we can gather together. Um, I want to begin with a, a question to you. What was in the beginning? What was in... The beginning, before cavemen and dinosaurs and planets and suns and galaxies, um, what was there before astronomy and animals and atoms? Before all that, who was there? What was there? What was going on? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you for an answer, but do think about that here are some possible answers to help you from a book called Long Story Short by a pastor called Glenn Scrivener. Some people think that we've come from nothing. It's hard to imagine nothing, isn't it? When I think of nothing, um, I think of black, but then I remember, well, black something, so that's not nothing. But if life came from nothing, then where did nothing come from, and, and what do we make of this something that we're in? Lawrence Krauss, who's a physicist and cosmologist and the author of the book, A Universe from Nothing, says this. The two lessons I want to give people is that you're more insignificant than you ever thought, and the future is miserable. I know that sounds like some sort of sick joke, um, but it kind of makes sense, right? If we've come from nothing, then we're kind of headed for nothing, likely. Another thought is that we've um, emerged from chaos, whether from creation myths of religions or theories of survival of the fittest in science, this would mean normalising dog-eat-dog and the law of the jungle. Killing and chaos are not just unfortunate, but it's something that life uh, boils down to. In this view of reality, life is a struggle. Another option is that before anything else was, there was power, right? This would mean perhaps an impersonal power like gravity, As uh, Stephen Hawkins uh, says, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Or it could mean a more kind of personal power like a God. This kind of God would create simply because he can, because he must, because he or she, or I should say probably it, because it would be a solitary God, a kind of lonely, bored, powerful God. Well, this kind of singular solitary God would be alone, right? with nothing beside or before, existing but not exciting, powerful but not personable or relational. Relating to this kind of God would be kind of terrifying. We might be glad to have got beyond nothingness and chaos, but we would only actually fear its power or submit to an iron fist. Many have been sold this kind of God. But what if in the beginning... There was not nothing or chaos or power, but something that changed our everything. What if what was in the beginning was something else entirely, something entirely and wonderfully otherworldly? Well, in the Bible, um, it mentions this phrase, in the beginning. It says, in the beginning, three times. Genesis once and in John's gospel twice in the same sentence. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at the start of the Gospel of John, John decides to go even further back than just the beginning of creation. He goes to the beginning, beginning, before creation. He says this in John one: 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. And so we see that in the beginning was God, but God is not a singular person, a singular entity. Notice how he's described in plural terms, God created the spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters we're told. And then the word of God speaks creation into existence. This creating God is tri-personal. He's one God, but there seems to be a plurality too. So much so that in Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Now, why is this important? In the beginning, there was relationship. It was not a lonely God. We discover that there is one person called God. Later, we discover as father. Another person called the Word, who is also the Son of God, who we also discover as Jesus Christ, who is also God. But then there's another person called the Holy Spirit, who we have hints of in the Old Testament, but is explicitly revealed in the New Testament, who is the Spirit of God, who is there at the beginning, and who also is God. God is relationship. God is personal. And this is important because the nature of this relationship affects everything. I think it's Albert Einstein who is reported to have said this. I think the most important question facing humanity is Is the universe a friendly place? This is the first and most basic question all people must answer for themselves. And so, as uh, Preston has mentioned, today's Trinity Sunday in our church calendar. And I hope you'll be convinced that, in one sense, it's a bit silly to have one Sunday dedicated to the Trinity because, well, kind of, it's a huge, huge thing. But we do admit the implications of the the, the Trinity are are tricky because, well, it's complicated, right? There are a couple of dangers, I think, um, when looking at the Trinity. The first is this. We see it as some sort of academic debate for the super keen and the rather intense Christians uh, and not really relevant for real life. Or we see it as some sort of formulaic thing uh, to get your head round so that you can feel like you've got it so that you can say that we understand God and rather than worship Him, and there's something mysterious obviously about mystery isn't there? There's something complicated about that, but let me counter those um, with some of what I 'm going to say today. There is wonder here that would fill the oceans of the earth, but our knowledge is a thimble, yes, but it's not that we can't know anything it's just that we can 't know everything. Mystery is not something unknowable, but something that is secretive that has then been revealed and unlocked for us. So though we can't grasp the Trinity absolutely, we can grasp it truly. And while we don't grasp it fully, we do grasp it deeply, That's it's revealed to us it's opened up to us, not through like illustrations, like a boiled egg, where there's like the 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 yolk and then the white and then the the um, what do you call it? The thing that you crack, the shell. It's not like steam, water, or ice. Um, it's not like a three-leaf clover can you think of anything less worshipful than, than eggs? I love eggs, actually, to be honest. But I wouldn't worship an, an egg or, or steam water or ice or, or a three-leaf clover, for that matter. But the wonder of the Trinity is revealed in reality and history and proximity. It's glimpsed in a beautiful picture that we are going to look at today. I'm going to present to you the best illustration for the Trinity you've ever heard of before. Forget all the illustrations you've heard in the past. This is the one. This is the best one, and I think you might have guessed what it might be. It's the baptism of Jesus. This is what it says. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is what we see in our passage today. Something is drawn open. The curtains are pulled back and we are invited in. We see at the baptism of Jesus a beautiful picture of the heavens being opened. We see a picture of the Trinity in action. As Jesus prays just after he is baptized, we get a glimpse in the deepest of reality. Heaven touches earth and we see God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. So don't blink. We need a freeze frame. We need a snapshot. We need to pause because we can't afford to miss anything. It happens very quickly. It's just two verses, isn't it? But put yourself in the scene. Notice the movement and the kind of dynamism here. Jesus is in prayer. The heavens then open. The spirit descends on him in bodily form and a voice comes from heaven. Maybe not dissimilar to Paul Tresco's voice perhaps, but this resounds with love and delight. Now it's more than behind the scenes in a documentary. It's better than the outtakes at the end of a film. The curtain is pulled back and we see that God is actually love in action. Can you see these things? The father's voice is of love, of affirmation, of pleasure. This is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. The spirit anoints, empowers, pours out love of the father and stirs up the delight of the son to the father. It's all very personal. It's all very um, evident of love. And can you feel the echoes of Genesis 1 as well? Can you see the reality of what was there from the beginning? Not chaos, not power, but love. The snapshot is a thumbnail or a trailer for what has happened in the past. We see for the briefest of moments that this is what God is like and what he's always been like. Jesus says elsewhere in John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. The father has loved the son from eternity, from before the foundation of the world. In another part of the Bible, it says that God is love. Not God does love or God is loving or God loves love, but God is in himself love. And this is possible, this is only possible because he is in himself relationship. He is one God in three persons, united in love. One God in three persons, united in love. This God is vibrant with relationship, giving freely, receiving gladly, delighting um, in the other, a fountain of overflowing energy and beauty. I wonder what your view of God is Perhaps it's kind of like um, a Santa Claus figure, lives far away, is rather distant, only relevant for special occasions when actually we really need stuff at the end of the year. Well, this view of God as Trinity is much more compelling. It's the difference between a general view of a vague God and God as Trinity, the difference is huge. It's like the difference between listening to your neighbor across the wall in the next house, playing their violin, screeching away, The difference between that and going to the Orpheum Theatre to hear a, a full orchestra play, a violin concerto, it's much more beautiful, much more beautiful and powerful that God is Trinity because then God is relationship. So the question is this, do you know this God? Because it's possible to believe in a God but not this God. It's possible to see God in a way that he isn't because if this is what God is like that this was what God was like in the beginning beginning before the beginning then it changes everything for us, There becomes a different lens through which to see life Uh, there's a different frame to picture reality and a different uh, canvas to find ourselves in so let me try and illustrate the difference that this view of God can make to us. And I have a friend um, called Steve Brown who interned in the past, a couple of decades ago now, with the travelling speaker and writer Josh McDowell. He wrote a couple of books um, in the past that, that were, that were uh, well known. Um, Steve wrote in his book called Jesus Centred, he says this. I vividly remember one of the talks Josh asked the audience to share their strategy for putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Now, who's done a jigsaw puzzle since the lockdown, kind of the coronavirus began? Okay, a fair amount. So you can give me the answer here. Um, what do you do when you start a jigsaw puzzle? Okay, do the outside. Do the outside. Anyone else? Okay, put the, um, the box the right side up. The pieces the right side up. Okay, that's a good one. Some people like to put um, things in particular colors first, some people like to get the corners. And um, one thing that's important is to, to have the box in front of you as well, isn't it? The box is important. Josh would then ask the audience to imagine the wrong box top had been put in their puzzle box as they were doing their puzzle. He would ask how it would feel if they were to discover that they were using the wrong box top as their guide as they were building and, and piecing together this jigsaw puzzle how would you feel if you had the wrong picture? You'd be kind of disappointed, right? The point of this illustration is this. You need the right big picture perspective of yourself in order to put together who you really are, the same way you need the right box top to put a jigsaw puzzle together. And Josh and Steve are saying here that you need the right big picture perspective of yourself to put together who you are, and that comes from who God says you are. But I think we need to go one step further as well. We need to have the right big picture of who God is to begin to be able to do this well. I think for years I've struggled to believe that I'm fully lovable beyond what I can do or what I bring to the table. There's this vicious cycle that I've been in of performance and then perfectionism, then pretense, then proving and then performance again. And while I've been in this vicious cycle, I'd feel like I was disappointing others, not enough, that I was faking it, Um, imposter syndrome, going between I can do this in my own strength to thinking, oh, I don't have any strength left. I was so accustomed to disguising myself to others and to God that in the end I was disguised to myself. I had the wrong box top. The box top that many of us have is this, God is primarily a ruler characterised by supervision and vigilation, Like an exam and the vigilators walking past, that's what God feels like to us, like living in North Korea, perhaps. All we can give to a ruler is really our rule keeping and salvation based on rules and keeping rules is really lifeless and deadening. No, God is not primarily a ruler. The Trinity shows us that God is primarily love. It's taken me a while to believe that God really is love. I've heard it before, but to actually believe it in your bones, it's possible to believe in God, but not believe in a God like this. It's possible to believe in God, but to wonder if there's anything darker behind this God. Is this name God just a front for something darker and more sinister? The greatest weapon the enemy uses is not the question about the existence of God, but sowing doubt about the goodness of God. No, in the beginning, beginning, before the beginning, there was not nothingness or chaos or, um, or power, not just even friendliness. No, in the beginning, there was love. There was a triune God of love, one God, three persons united in love. And so we can see that at the center of the universe, at the center of everything, the reality is love. And I think, friends, that that changes everything for us. What would change in your life if you began to believe that this is true? It's taken me, um, as I said, uh, a while to figure out this box top. I wonder where you're at right now. The box top that I've had has been colourless, like the sun has faded, the details, coffee stains all over. I could see bits, uh, but that jigsaw puzzle has been awfully slow. Perhaps you feel like you've been stuck on one particular part of that jigsaw puzzle for far too long. Well, Jesus comes to redraw and to renew that box top, we could say, to bring to vibrant life so that we no longer have to guess or blindly hope about what God is like. He comes to show us that this love is like, it's not just academic or theoretical, but he brings it and makes it tangible and unequivocal and visible to us. How? Well, we see it in our passage, but blink and and you miss it. Verse 21 says this, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized. Let me read that again. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, we, we get the glimpse into this Trinitarian love of God. But Jesus stood in line He waited his turn. He was baptized by his cousin, John. Remember from previously in in this chapter, uh, John baptized the crowds, the tax collector and the soldiers. Jesus stood in line. He waited his turn. The one who created time and space waited patiently in line to be baptized. The one who held all the waters of the oceans in the palm of his hands when he created them had water poured over him. We see that this person in the Trinity was was baptized. We were told earlier in Luke, again, that this was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was to be a sign, if you went through it, of a symbol of turning round completely, a picture of being cleansed. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Of all the people in the history of the world, he didn't need to turn or repent or have his sins forgiven, but he does He takes his place, he waits in line, he stands before John and is baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not his, but ours. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized as well. The one whose identity was the son of God was identifying with all who were there. He was identifying with them, with the people, with humanity. Yes, he was the, the, the new Israel. He was bringing a new exodus. He was signifying a new creation, but he was critically and importantly being the first of a new humanity. As he stands in the River Jordan, Jesus stands in solidarity with us and in substitution for us. He says, I'm with them and I'm for them. And in doing so, he welcomes us into this divine life, this divine love. He says, come, come. You see it, you can be invited into it. Jesus Christ, the son of God, becomes fully one of us to the extent that he even gets baptised so that he might redeem and save all of us, the very worst of us and the very worst parts of us. He gets baptised because as he fully identifies with broken humanity and sinful people, only then can can he represent us and die for us on the cross. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the cross, he loses the gaze of the father for the first time in the history of the universe. The first time he didn't know the love of the father so that we could know it so that we could be welcomed in, so that as we turn to him, we receive that love, so that each of us would be able to hear resounding in our bones, in our chest and in our ears, you are my beloved child, with you, I am well pleased. So friends, I think this changes everything. What does it change for you? Because at the end of the day, our lives will all depend on what you think God is like what was in the beginning who God is affects everything are we lovers or rule keepers are we to enjoy God or merely appease him what about our church our marriages our parenthood our friendship our relationship our community groups what it means to come out of the pandemic mission all these are shaped by what we think of God what we believe about him what we feel is real in our bones As Jesus prays, the heavens open and we get this glimpse. He knows the love of the Father with and through the Spirit. I can't help but think that our prayers and our lives will only be as deep as our confidence in this love for us. This love is there. It is here. It's been there from the beginning. It'll be there at the end. Would you ask to awaken to this reality, to allow the curtain to be pulled back enough in your life to know the reality of this love and this God of love. So let me finish with a poem by um, an English poet called um, Malcolm Gite. Let me finish with this poem. Beginning here, we glimpse the three in one. The river runs, the clouds are torn apart, the Father speaks, the Spirit and the Son reveal to us the single loving heart that beats behind the being of all things and calls and keeps and kindles us to light. The dove descends, the spirit soars and sings, you are my beloved, you are my delight. In that quick light and life, as water spills and streams around the man like quickening rain, the voice that made the universe reveals the God in man who makes it new again. He calls us too, to step into that river, to die and rise and live and love forever. So let's have a moment of quiet now and I will lead us in a prayer.